Smith and Jones, the Friday edition. And as we head into the weekend, the Toronto Raptors in action tonight against the New York Knicks. And uh, lots to talk about today. And not the least of which is the New York Knicks. And we get a chance to see Canadian R.J. Barrett tonight. E, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. I compared it to the the kids that play hockey around Canada coming back to play the Leafs back in the day at Mad- at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens and now at Scotiabank Arena. They get juiced up to come and play the Leafs because that was the game that was on every Saturday night when you watched when you were a kid with your parents. How much do you think Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Lou Dort, Dylan Brooks, O'Shea Brissett... And the list goes on and on. R.J. Barrett, Tristan R.J. Barrett. <laughs> How much do you think they get gassed up to come and play in Toronto, considering for most of their lifetimes, the Raptors were the only game in town? I mean, the Grizzlies left in in 2000. R.J. Barrett, yeah, he's born the same year as my son. He's a 97. So, or sorry, a 99. So, like, he doesn't know a Vancouver team. Mm-hmm. But he knows Toronto and the Raptors and Vince and the playoffs and all of that, right? He's like he's a teenager when the Raptors are starting their run with Lowry and DeRozan and you know the 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 trade back in the day that that brought Gravis Vasquez and John Solomon and those guys. Um, how much do you think those guys get gassed up to come and play in Toronto? I think a lot. I mean, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. I would. I would. You know, if, if if I could pretend to be a player for a second, and I'm 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 from this area, I'm from this market, I'm from the city specifically. I mean, even I'm, I'm going to bring up the uh, the 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 post that he put up just to make sure I get the wording absolutely correct from Shea Gilgis Alexander, because I'm sure there were some in the Hammer in Hamilton that were kind of giving that 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 Spocky and eyebrow or that or the Rock eyebrow going hmm. Shea posted 20 hours ago with a picture of him pretty much with his arms extended like an airplane with one finger pointing to the sky, one finger pointing to the floor. And it said, love my city with a heart until next time. Now, technically speaking, not his city, but it's, it is his city. It's an extension. It's the GTA. It's the Golden Horseshoe. It's Southern Ontario. And for all intents and purposes, the Hammer doesn't have a team. Hamilton doesn't have a squad. Toronto does. That is his city. That speaks to exactly what you're talking about, Jones. And when you've got Shea Gilgis-Alexander posting a picture of him in his Oklahoma City jersey with the big Raptor logo at center court in the background coming off a huge victory that the Thunder had over the Raptors two nights ago, putting Love My City. Well, it says it all right there. When you go on vacation, and this is how I always qualify it, when you go on vacation and you you know you meet somebody or you run into a – people that are vacationing too and where are you from toronto oh i'm oh, yeah <laughs> toronto well oh really so are we well where are you from oh rich richmond hill oh well i'm from oakville you know it's yeah. it's yep. kind of well i'm not really from toronto I'm from hamilton it's about you know and people just kind of people kind of say that i, I run into people all the time like where are you from new york oh me too whereabouts oh i'm a brooklyn guy oh i grew up in queens like it just all of a sudden it gets so it's not really his city, 
but in for but all intents is. and purposes, <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah. I'm telling you, you, our guy R.J. Barrett. We're gonna we're gonna be talking to his his uh, his dad, Rowan Barrett. I gotta tell you, E. He is he is he is shooting the ball from from three lately. The last three games, he's 55 percent. Ten of his last 13. Um, you know, between he and Randall and like those guys and those dudes on the perimeter, Burks, Fournier, quickly, like Toronto's going to have their hands full again tonight. And it would be, it would have been nice to be coming in winning three in a row instead of trying to bounce back from a loss where you, you know, you gave up a double figure lead. So, uh, well, it's funny you're talking about RJ Jonesy. I, I, I remembered in my, in my, you know, foggy brain here a similar post on Instagram that RJ had. And I couldn't remember if it was two years ago or when it was. I mean, all these last two years just fogged together. And I just quickly scrolled through as you were talking and found it. A picture of RJ in the corner. And it was one of those OVO Welcome Toronto Nights. So the Raptors in the black and gold jersey. So they had the black and gold court down. And there's a picture of RJ that he posted on his IG page. And it was almost three year, two years ago, excuse me, to the day. December 12th, 2019. R.J. Barrett standing in the corner with that the gooseneck still popped in the, off the top of his shot where he probably just buried a corner three, and the photographer had taken the shot with just the, the letters, the word, Toronto on the baseline. It's a picture of R.J., much like the Shea one, where it's Shea by himself at center court with the Raptor logo behind him. This one is R.J. by himself in the corner with nothing but Toronto on the baseline. And then his caption is just two emojis, a maple leaf, beside a snake <laughs> and and if i'm not mistaken that's when the knicks came to town and and beat toronto on that night as well like yeah th- it means a ton to these guys when they come back it means a ton no matter where they're from whether it's the gta or anywhere across the country to come back here and to get that that victory and i know where you're going with this it adds an added layer of motivation especially when you're playing against a team that is maybe not a a top five championship contender like the Raptors were for so many years, a team that you're coming to town licking your chops going, all right, come on, this is one we got to get for a number of reasons. Not only do we got to beat them because we think we're better than them, we got to get them because I want one in front of my friends, in front of my family. Yeah. I want to do this in front of my people. And, and, and you know, when Memphis was in town recently, uh, a couple of the Grizzlies players just said to me after the game, man, Dylan wanted it. He really wanted this. I mean – you know he's he's a father Henry Carr guy. He's he's you know he's basically a city kid, and he and and the other guys feel that too. They want it for the guy. So anyway, I just I just thought I'd start with that. It it was it's not where we planned to start, but I just just thinking of you know this generation growing up and coming home to play, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I I think it's absolutely a great point. It's something that we can uh, dive into uh, in a couple of minutes' time when Ian Begley joins us uh, uh, to uh, talk about tonight's ball game. Um, as the Raptors get set for the New York Knicks, and you get a double dip of Smith and Jones today. As we we uh, will be back later on tonight with the call of the game, seven o'clock pregame show, seven thirty tip off down at Scotiabank Arena. As Jonesy mentioned later on in the show as well, Rowan Barrett, general manager of Canada Basketball the men's national team, we will talk to Rowan about uh, Team Canada and also dive into the NBA and RJ and, and and so much more. Of course, news out of Raptorland coming yesterday as Masai Ujiri announced that uh, he had tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, I'll, I won't read the entire release, but uh, Masai, you know, penning in a press release yesterday on Sunday, 
Giants of Africa held our first in-person event since 2019. It was organized in compliance with all current public health guidance. Everyone who attended had to show proof of vaccination and wear masks when not eating or drinking. Unfortunately, after the gala, we learned of positive COVID-19 tests among our guests. And even though I am fully vaccinated and have received the booster shot, I also subsequently tested positive. He then goes on later to say... Uh, we don't want to live in fear of the virus, but COVID is a persistent enemy. Together, we'll defeat it. And then for more information, go to toronto.ca slash COVID-19 or COVID-19 to be exact. Um, it's so far, and I don't think that there's any reason to believe there's any reason to change the so far. It, it's it, by, all, by all accounts, there's no issue as it relates to the game tonight. Jonesy, the game will go on. The Raptors and Knicks. Toronto did cancel practice yesterday out of an abundance of caution. No players, it should be stressed at this point, no players, no coaches have tested positive. They've been you know, regularly tested since yesterday or before to make sure, and I'm sure they will continue to be tested um, as you know, Masai test positive and uh he stressed that anybody that attended the the event should be testing as well to make sure contact tracing and everything else but it just shows how quickly it can still spread and how it can quickly impact you know the league the game etc and that's something we talked about yesterday with jared greenberg from nba tv and the nba and tnt jones we've already seen now a bunch of players and a lot of teams specifically the bulls having to deal with multiple players out and we were navigating through this pretty well the first six weeks or so, but it seems like it's starting to pick up, not just in the NBA, but we're seeing it more and more in the National Hockey League as well. Well, you know what? He, uh, my layman's theory is um, people might be getting, as Masai called it, a persistent enemy. They might be getting uh, a touch complacent with this persistent enemy, and then things are wearing down. Like you, you have, you have your guys that your people that are double vaccinated and kind of the battery runs low like you're you're you know you're ready to fight it off but after a while after the farther you're removed from your second vaccine uh it 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 you know your the effectiveness is reduced and maybe that's mm-hmm. where it's getting people and uh, just just at, i don't i have no credence to that theory at all none at all it's a it's a guy on the street theory and I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just it's just seeming to pop up more, and you're not hearing about people being really, really sick and all these symptoms. But all of a sudden, people have it. So you know what can it be? I don't know if there's a doctor out there or people that that know better <laughs> than me. Let's do it. But uh, it's still, as Masai said, I, I still don't think you take any chances around. Uh, you know how you act or conduct yourself because it's it's always going to be there. I don't think it's going away. Well, I don't think he's a doctor and I don't think he plays one on TV, radio, print or otherwise, but we'll uh, we'll bring into the conversation right now and get his two cents on on just trying to navigate another season uh covering the Knicks, the Nets, the NBA for SNY TV. Uh Knicks reporter Ian Begley. Ian, thanks for the time today. Gentlemen, how you doing? As you guys were talking, I actually just texted uh, Anthony Fauci to get his take. So oh, okay. I'll be able to relay that to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you got the inside track, I guess, eh, Ian? Um, listen, what's, <laughs> you know, before we talk hoops, uh, it, it, you know, I know some people roll their eyes, but it's it's life. It's what we're all dealing with yeah. on, on whatever side of the border, whatever piece of the globe we are on. We're all dealing with it. How have things been 
in New York, at MSG, in Brooklyn, with the Nets, at Barclays, etc., uh, in terms of just trying to, to navigate through this with players, with fans, with, with, with everybody? Yeah, well, on the Knicks side, I know that they were very proud to, to say that all their players had been fully vaccinated heading into training camp. And so that was a push that they had made internally uh, to make sure everybody uh, was prepared to play because in New York, as you guys know, we had the local ordinance where if a player was not vaccinated or did not have at least one shot, that player could not play Madison Square Garden or the Barclays Center. And uh, along those lines, as you know, with Kyrie Irving, it's been an impact in the Nets because of his situation, his decision to excuse me, not get vaccinated. And it's, it's created uh, an interesting dynamic in Brooklyn, to say the least as the Nets kind of navigate this season through injuries and without a player that, you know, they had penciled into their, to their lineup to, to a big degree. So it's kind of, you're kind of getting two two sides of the spectrum here in New York with the Knicks and the Nets and how it's impacting the teams. As far as the fans, you know, we've seen attendance down um, on, on both, in both arenas. And, you know, their first few games hadn't been selling out. They've sold out more recently. I think what you're seeing is, uh, the Knicks fan that used to be working in Midtown and then going to the game after work, those fans are not necessarily back in the office at this point. And so I think that's impacting attendance, but the crowds have been lively. And so we're, just, we're navigating through it uh, just as, as you guys are north of the border. Hey, uh, Ian, uh, just before we leave this and, and start talking some hoops um, with the Knicks anyway, what, what do you think is going to happen? Give me your best guess at what happens with with Kyrie Irving the Nets are clipping along without him they're still on top of the east but I I don't know if they can win without this guy it would be tougher I mean if they had him it would be a whole lot different what he's been kind of quiet lately you know the guy who said he wanted to be a voice for the voiceless has been very quiet um give me your best guess at what what you think is going on and what might happen well, I could tell you that if Kyrie does return to the Nets, I think you know there's going to be some some uh, awkward, awkward, delicate conversations that he'll have to kind of navigate because there are some people over there that are understandably upset with how this, everything has kind of played out. Uh, so you know they've said publicly that you know we'll we'll welcome Kyrie back with open arms, but I, I do think that there's going to be some situations for Kyrie to navigate and some built, uh, bridges to repair if he does decide to get vaccinated and come back. Uh, I think the most likely scenario here is that uh, at some point maybe the Nets find a, a deal that they like and and. There's a trade of Kyrie Irving. I think that's more likely than Kyrie getting the vaccine. Um, but the other piece of it is, does the, the new mayor, Eric Adams, does he change this local regulation in a way that allows Kyrie Irving to play? What he said publicly um, has led everybody to believe that he will not do that. Uh, you know, but things can change based on the the uh, local uh, politicians and obviously the local case number. So that's something to keep an eye on. But if you're asking me what I think is most likely to happen, I think it's most likely that Kyrie Irving uh, gets traded by the Nets. 
Speaking with Ian Begley, Nixon NBA reporter from SNY. Ian, let's let's look at the the Knicks and, and Raptors uh, this evening's game and just kind of big picture with New York was you know I, I don't I don't want to say winning is ever a bad thing, but did winning last year and the the quick rise and ascension of the Knicks change the expectations for a lot of folks uh, regarding New York this year? Hence the reason they look down at the standings now and go, oh, hold on a second. 12 and 13, a game below 500. What's going on with the Knicks now? I mean, how are people reacting to this sort of inconsistent start to the season for New York? It's a great question, and I think it's an important theme to this season because expectations were raised. They kind of skipped ahead, so to speak, last year, a step in the rebuilding process when they won 41 games and they finished fourth in the East. And so the expectations for fan, for most fans, I think, were were changed and increased. And I think internally, the expectations, you know, were, were not, not they didn't go through the roof. But I think what you, what you wonder is how does ownership feel about where this team should be and where it is? I have no indication of how owner James Dolan's feeling about where the team is. But I just wonder if, if the, the 41 wins last year, kind of changed his expectations, but then also the fan base, obviously. They're expecting more from this group. And in a big-picture sense, the way the East overall has improved, as you guys know, you know, I think the Knicks could win fewer games this season but be a better team, if that makes sense at all, because of the talent in the East and the way the teams around them have improved. But I think the frustration right now for the Knicks fan is that you bring in Kemba Walker in the offseason, you bring in Evan Fournier in the offseason, you think the offense is going to be vastly improved and your defense will be, uh, even though you'll take a hit, it'll be okay. And it hasn't played out that way. So I think regardless of what your expectation was for a number of wins this season, just seeing how the offseason moves have played themselves out on the court so far is a source of frustration. Uh, Ian, Ian, to me, and I don't know, maybe, maybe it was because where we sat from afar, literally, last year, Eric and I. But for mm-hmm. me, uh, watching from afar, I, I thought the Knicks are good, but I think they've, they've, they've outkicked the coverage. I, I think they, they showed better than they were last year. They're not sneaking up mm-hmm. on anybody this year, and people are aware of them. That combined with the expectations, I mean... Are they right where they should be in the East right now? Some people would argue when you look at the big picture and and everything that happened. I mean, Tibbs did a great job last year, but I also think they they, they caught some people by surprise, and I, I'm not so sure they're doing that this year with the way things are in the East. I would agree with that. I would say from a you know a thirty thousand foot view, I think they are where you kind of would think they would be. I think that last year's team, by and large, had this competitive spirit where, yes, they had a few nights where they, they just didn't have it and they got blown out, but they seem to always come back the next night and, and give you a real competitive effort. But this team, this year, there have been several nights where they just they have looked non-competitive, especially on the defensive end. And that's not, I think that's a surprise because you bring most of last year's group back this year, you make a few changes, and you would expect there to be that kind of same togetherness, especially on the defensive end, that same fighting spirit. And it's been absent, I think, pretty regularly early on this year. So I think that's that's a concern, but that's at the micro level. You look at the macro level, I do think that, you know, the, the Knicks will should be, if everything goes right, you know, around 500, a couple games over, game under, uh, when this thing is all said and done. 
Speaking with Ian Begley covering the New York Knicks. Ian, can you try to explain to me the Kemba Walker situation? So I think the Knicks, there was not there was not a consensus around any of the point guards on the market last summer, with whether it's Dennis Schroeder, Lonzo Ball, um, you know Kyle Lowry. I think they they, they felt that they couldn't match the number that he was going to get on the open market. Uh, same with Chris Paul, and so there was there was a, a you know a, other scenarios they were looking into, and Kemba Walker was one of those scenarios. And I think that they hoped that Kemba could come in and and really you know jumpstart their offense and give them somebody who could make plays off the ball uh, with the ball in his hands, pardon me, and make plays for his teammates. And I think that they didn't anticipate um, uh, issues on defense. Now I think that Kemba was kind of scapegoated in a sense because I don't think everything that was going wrong with the Knicks and that starting unit was Kemba's fault, but it just worked. It didn't work out. It didn't work between he and Julius Randle for whatever reason, and Tom Thibodeau decided to, to bench Kemba Walker. Now, I think moving forward, uh, if you have an injury, I think Tom Thibodeau may be forced to play Kemba Walker, and, and if not, I think Kemba Walker and the Knicks will kind of figure out together the next steps here, with whether it's uh, trading Kemba somewhere else or if he's content in, in the current role that he's in, he stays here. Uh, but it certainly has not worked out, I think, how Kemba or the Knicks have wanted it to work out. You know, Ian, it's funny because I look at the new management <clears throat> core in New York and they were lauded for what they did last year and, and they did a really good job. And I just wonder if they overplayed this with Kemba. Like you said, there was no consensus, but... You know, they, they maybe they maybe they overplayed, you know, what he had left, how healthy he was, and because it, it, it turns out, I mean, he's been fighting. the The injury stuff is nothing new. He's been he's been dogged right. and plagued by that from from his leaving leaving Charlotte and going to Boston. So uh, I'm I'm wondering just mm-hmm. for them how much they overplayed stuff, thinking like, oh no, we'll get him, he'll be okay. Like we've been pushing the right buttons all along. This is just another one. We'll do this. It's a great point, and I, you know, I can't tell you specifically how they projected things out for Kemba Walker. But if you sign him and you know he's going to be your starting point guard, clearly you projected uh, more than what you've gotten over those first twenty games. So it certainly seems to be, you know, a miscalculation. I think one thing uh, with this management group is they've they've touted and, and and they've tried to maintain, you know, flexibility for the future. And what they did this offseason was, yeah, they signed some multi-year contracts but you know they they feel i think that all those deals are are tradable if the right trade comes along so they 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 talked about continuity this off season and they talked about maintaining flexibility uh, at some point i think you have to take that big swing and that's what you get judged on uh if you're leon rose and his group and you know but it, it, these moves made in the off season to upgrade the roster certainly have not panned out the way the group had hoped Hey Ian, this this question admittedly may be better served for us than you, but you, yeah, I'd still be interested in your perspective. Uh, you know, from the outside looking in, I'm going to throw the exact same question that Jonesy gave to me right off the top of the show before we we came to you. How much do you think 
an R.J. Barrett and a lot of Canadians around the league get fired up for a game in Toronto, coming back onto Canadian soil in the hometown, etc. Now, the the very loose comparison, and there are certainly far better examples and, and far more intense examples, and the history is no doubt far greater in New York, New York City, at MSG. But Jonesy's point to me kind of was, this is akin to what we've seen for, for, for decades in the National Hockey League, where Guys just seem to get that much more geeked up to come to Toronto to play the Leafs back at Maple Leaf Gardens or at Scotiabank Arena now. Mm. And it seems like it's starting to get that way with more and more Canadians in the league, more and more impact Canadians in the league, where there's just that added layer of motivation beyond just a game. It's also, man, I want to win in front of my friends, my family, my hometown folks, etc. How much do you think that means to RJ? I think it means a great deal. You know, he's talked about, going back to Toronto and, and playing there and how important it is for him and, and how meaningful it is. I think that was when we asked him as a rookie, you know, what are you looking forward to? Any games you're looking forward to? And, and he said Toronto because, you know, it's, it's, it's going home. It's seeing friends and family. It's playing in front of friends and family. And he's got a lot of pride. I mean, uh, RJ, you know, he went through a recent shooting slump and then he shot it really well against San Antonio the other night. And there were some, you know, I think concern among the fan base about, oh, is, is his shot gone? Is, can he fix it? And I always think with RJ Barrett, like everything's fixable because of his work ethic and the way he approaches the game. Uh, just a, a, pro, a professional approach uh, wise beyond his years in that regard. But I, I, yeah, I think absolutely he will be fired up to play tonight in front of uh, the hometown crowd. And, and this is something that he gets up for. Um, so you can expect an energized and motivated R.J. Barrett tonight in Toronto. Hey, Ian, how I, I think it's a great marriage. How good was it for Tibbs to come in to coach R.J. Barrett? I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, he's demanding. He's kind of old-fashioned, as we would say, old school in his approach to coaching. R.J.'s a work ethic kid. That, that to me, has been a perfect marriage. And, you know, like what Tibbs did last year and – you know, the, the the tried and true stuff still works. Play hard, work hard, play defense, be demanding. Everybody's on him about, oh, the minutes police, how much he plays guys. And I always said, hey, man, <laughs> if you want to win, your best player's got to play. And, and I think it's a perfect marriage with him and a guy, a kid like R.J. Barrett. Yeah, by all accounts, they seem to have really uh, gotten a good relationship, coach-player relationship going here. Uh, starting last year for all the reasons that you've hit on. And R.J. Barrett, you know, he talked prior to this season about wanting to be a better defender, wanting to one day win uh, first, be named a first-team all-defense, and he wants to take that challenge on. And I'm sure that's music to Tibbs' ears. And, you know, I've written about it in the past, but I think some people with the Knicks last year see R.J. as kind of that little dang uh, in that little dang mold for Tom Thibodeau where he's just going to play 40 minutes a night, he's going to defend, and he's going to be really effective at an all-star level as dang was. And so the idea that R.J. wants to take on the challenge of defending the opposing team's best best score, you know, I think Thibodeau loves that kind of stuff. Now, it hasn't gone uh, smoothly for Barrett on the defensive end so far this season. You know, he's, he's had his miscues, as, as have the other starters, but I think just the idea that he can grow from these experiences and, you know, we know how big he is. We know how strong he is. I think if he has the want to to become a, a strong defender in this league, I think eventually it's going to happen. So I think a guy like Tibbs loves that mentality. 7.30 tonight, Knicks and Raptors down at Scotia Bank Arena. Ian, we appreciate the time and insight today. Thanks for joining us.
My pleasure, fellas. You guys stay safe. Thanks, you Ian. as well. There is Ian Begley covering the Knicks and the NBA for SNY and uh, has been doing so for quite some time. We appreciate his insight. We'll set aside for the break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Rowan Barrett on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. If you like the show, Smith & Jones, make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review the show as well. Tonight, the Toronto Raptors getting set to host the New York Knicks. A double dip of Smith & Jones as we're back at 7 o'clock with the pregame show, 7.30 tip-off down at Scotiabank Arena. Joining us on the line, though, to talk eh, not as much about tonight, but about a couple of big games last week and, uh, well, the path towards the World Cup. Hopefully the Olympic Games and so much more. There's always lots to discuss with Rowan Barrett, general manager from Canada Basketball, the men's national team. Rowan, appreciate the time as always. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You guys are grooving this morning, man. I heard the music coming in. You guys are good to go here, man. Awesome. Thanks for having always, me on. Always, man. Got to have people just, you know, set the mood right. So <laughs> for me, for me, I, I my question, I know we're going to talk Canada Basketball, but we're going we're gonna to do the dad thing, all right? Because we had kids born in the same year, and I remember my son always talks about playing against RJ in, in, in the kids' tournament, in bitty ball and stuff, and he said, Dad, that's what made me go to play volleyball because I knew I wasn't going to make it with these guys. <laughs> but, but we, Eric and I, have surmised this. I mean, we look at how hard Dylan Brooks played. We watched Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Lou Dort come in here and win a game. Uh, you know, we just we just know the treatment guys get and how important it is. I, I talked to Kevin Pangos and his dad, Bill. Like it's just his wife Patty. Like how how big it is for Canadian kids to come back and play in Toronto against the Raptors. It's 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 coming home. And I want from you, Ro, and we've asked Eric. I've asked Eric this. We've asked Ian Begley this. I'm going to ask you how important is it for Canadian kids? What how gassed up do they get? And then you as a dad, you can't do anything. You're going to be sitting in the stands tonight. You can't do anything. What does it mean to you to see your son on the floor playing against the Raptors, a team that you grew up watching and everybody in this area cheered for, and your son probably cheered for at one point? Yeah, well, I think for, for him, um, you know, it's interesting, right? Like the, 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 the staff with the Raptors, right? Like John Corbaccio, an assistant coach there, was RJ's assistant coach in ninth grade in high school. Okay, Nathaniel Mitchell, another assistant coach with the Raptors, was developing RJ's skill in seventh and eighth grade, you know, in ninth grade and and, and tenth grade, right? And then obviously his coaches on the national team with, you know, with obviously with Nick and and Nate and and, and Goodwillie and and the whole crew. So, you know, there's that side of it, right? There's the competitive side, like, you know, I want to beat you guys. You know, there's always going to be that part. Uh, but then, you know, obviously, you know, all your friends are coming, you know, all the family's coming, our church, everybody's coming. I think it would be a couple hundred people there um, for us tonight um, that are coming to, to watch RJ and support him as well as the hometown team. And then I think, you know, obviously this was RJ's you know, favorite team, um, you know, growing up watching. Uh, and so there's always some nostalgia there, even though he's really young, um, of being able to play and, and to do that um, and to come onto the, you know, the Raptors floor uh, and play in the country. There's a pride you know, that's there um, with him, I know, when he comes home um, to play. And uh, so even though you're you're home, you're kind of not home, right? Because, you know, you're, you're right. playing for the Knicks, you are playing for the Knicks, and you got to play. And then just as a father, I think, 
Um, you know, and, you know, just as I've spoken to a number of the fathers uh, for for our kids that that come home, obviously it's going to be an immense you know source of pride, right? To see your child um, living out their dreams, you know, um, on the floor, uh, you know, playing uh, you know in front of the country. I think is is always uh, is always a great great moment. You get your feelings, you know. I'm sitting there, you know, watching this. Uh, it's things that you've dreamed about that that are now like playing out in front of you. Um, is always an amazing, amazing thing. And I also think, you know, the, the kind of re- reception um, that, that RJ, you know, gets, I think is important as a guy who consistently plays for his country, you know, that loves his country, that, that wears it as a badge of honor wherever he goes in the world and obviously has won for the country, right, with the world championship and, a, you know, an MVP, you know, and all of that. So, you know, I think that there's a, a you know, a good relationship also um, with, with RJ and, uh, and our fans as well. You know, Rowan, Rowan, either either keeping on or taking off your dad hat and putting on your GM hat, it's it's got to be a great time um, to be looking at the Canadian program on the men's side. And listen, I know that there have been some bumps in the road, and and there's there's a lot of angst in terms of some in the fan base saying, "Come on, man, we we want to taste that Olympics, we want to taste that World Cup." And you think I always say, you think the players don't, you think management doesn't, you think the coaching staff doesn't. But when you look at the amount of talent that this country has right now, you know, Jonesy and I were talking about a couple of nights ago. It used to be like, oh, hey, so-and-so's coming to town. There's a Canadian on that team. Now there's so many damn Canadians in the league, it seems like on a nightly basis. It's almost mm-hmm. at that point where there's a Canadian on the opposing team or two. And it's only going to improve and increase as the years go on. And that's, I guess, the the the, the, the positive negative of Man, it makes the decisions for you guys as a program so much more yeah. difficult going forward that you have that much depth, you have so many NBA guys, but that comes with a lot of hard decisions then when you're coming down to rosters and trying to put together mm-hmm. the quote-unquote mm-hmm. best team on the floor. Okay, that's a problem I want to have. That's a mm-hmm. problem I want to have. I'll live with that problem all day long. Give me as many players as we can get, and let's figure out how to put it all into a team. Uh, you know, I think that strategically, one of the things that we looked at some years ago is we didn't want to be a team that had to have if, if one or two players didn't show up, now we can't win because we don't have enough talent to be. And I believe that you're correct. I believe that we've crossed over that line now, right? Like, we have enough talent base that if one guy doesn't show up and another guy doesn't show up, we should still be able to win. I think our challenge now, right, and our focus moving forward now is around continuity and cohesion, okay? It's not about having 20 or whatever guys in the NBA and a bunch of other guys in the EuroLeague and, and all of that. And, and, and the more players coming every year, it's about finding a nucleus, a group, and then growing with that group. And I'll give you an example. So when our team won the world championship in 2017 in, in U19, we played against the United States in the semifinal. That team was more talented than us. There's a number of players on that team that are now in the NBA. Okay. We have one player from our team that is, you know, from that team that's in the NBA, but the talent that we had, the players that we had, some of them, we're with us since seventh grade in our system, working, grinding, figuring it out. For three of the players that were on the floor at the end of that game, that was their third consecutive summer playing for Canada. They played the USA in 2015 in the final and lost. They knew what that felt like. By the time we got to that game, we knew exactly where we were going. We knew who we were going to play through. We knew what we were going to run. We knew who could execute. We knew every, we were ready, and we beat a more talented team. For us now at the senior level, what we need is continuity and cohesion. We need to know who we're going to, where we're going, what we're doing, and not just the coaches. The coaches know that stuff. It's the players. The players have to know. 
right? The player's got to know when I'm looking to the left, I'm looking to the right, I know exactly what I'm getting, you know? And I think that that can only happen when you're together, you know, enough. And so, then, you know, that's a focus for us, right? And trying to, trying to put together a team with some continuity. It's very difficult within these windows because you have different players available in November, February than you have in June and August when we play again, you know? But, you know, we've got to find a way to keep a nucleus together throughout as we build towards the World Cup and the Olympics. That's our focus moving forward. Rowan, it's, it's an obvious point because that's what happened to us against the Czech Republic uh, in, in, in trying to qualify for the Olympics. But with the windows the way they are, uh, some of the guys that won these first two games against the Bahamas, some of those guys aren't going to be around or may not be with the final group, the final team that makes it into other competitions or tries to qualify in other spots. How, I, I guess I'm hearing you about the challenge. That's a challenge. But mm-hmm. how do you sacrifice? You know what? Maybe we take two or three of these guys that aren't maybe mm-hmm. as talented as some of our NBA guys, but mm-hmm. it, it might lead to better cohesion. How do you balance that, Rowan? Because I hear yeah. exactly where you're coming from. I, I mean, we walked. We all walked out of the, the building in Victoria on that Saturday afternoon, scratching our heads like, like, I can't believe we lost to those guys. We have way more mm-hmm. talent. The fact that we were down mm-hmm. 10 with, like, a little bit of time to go and people were like, I can't believe we're going to lose. And hey, we Jonesy, came back, I, took the lead in overtime. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, Eric, I didn't walk out of the arena because I wasn't there. I was trying to pick up pieces of my television off the floor. Yes. That's what I was Eric, trying to do. <laughs> yeah, Rowan, I, I got the message from Eric sitting, a, sitting behind the Canadian bench. And if, mm-hmm. I could, if I could read it on the air without us losing our jobs, I would read it. But... Um, <laughs> But mm-hmm. how do you balance that now? Because we had more talent, we just didn't have mm-hmm. more cohesion. Yeah, I mean, this is a challenge, right? This is a challenge. You know, one of the things I know for us moving forward, and, you know, Michael Bartlett's doing a great job right now. I mean, he's trying to help us remove all barriers, you know, so that, that you know, as our, as our CEO, he's trying to help us remove all the barriers so that we can, you know, we can get to, 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 to somehow executing this, right? And I think that Glenn did a great job, you know, setting us up and continuing to grow the program. And here comes Michael, and he's trying to take it a step further. Um, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, we're planning to have our teams practicing together and playing together, right? So our winter core of, of guys, as well as our summer core, all together, all playing, you know? And I think, when, you know, when you see there's an injury or there's a problem with a guy, right, we're evaluating in real time right there in practice, we might need to pull one of these guys up from the winter core and put him right into the team, you know? Um, I think that there are some stalwarts, like a Melvin Edgem, you know, who, who yes. couldn't play this last window. He couldn't play this last window with an ailment, but and he couldn't play in the summer because he had an ailment. He would have been in that team, you know? Guys like that, these, these are core foundational guys. Whether you play in the NBA or, you know, wherever you play in the world, he is a tremendous FIBA player, you know? And so... A guy like that you want in your team, regardless of who's coming, you know, whether there's NBA guys coming or who's not coming. So I think that we've had some some thoughts around some of the guys that we want to have in that team here, regardless, um, working with the coaching staff and without revealing the roster and everything. Um, you know, I think we've already thought about that and kind of worked through some of that. Um, and we're working towards seeing that come together in the summer. But, you know, again, these guys that are playing in the winter, they know that there could be an opportunity for them in the summer, right? we got to stay with it. we got to keep coming in November, keep coming in February. Look, I've got David Blatt on my staff now, right, that we've signed again. David Blatt's over there in Europe, right, talking to the teams, right, talking to the general, you know, the, uh, the, the coaches, to the players supporting them, right, and these players know, hey, this is one team, 
right? It's not just winter and summer. It's one team. I'm a part of this team. We all got to be a part of this thing to, to grow and lift this thing to get us where we need to go. And we believe we have their commitment. So, you know, as the summer comes around, it'll become more and more clear, um, I think, to everyone, kind of what we're doing and where we're going. But we're still good with where we are right now. Speaking with Rowan Barrett, general manager from Canada Basketball, the men's national team. Rowan, uh, listen, you, you just touched on it. I will say, um, again, I, was, I remember being there in 2015 in Mexico City when Michelle O'Keefe came out and announced what FIBA was going to do moving forward. I hated it then. I was confused by it then. I still hate it now. I, I don't like the setup. You don't have to touch it because I don't want to get you in trouble with FIBA. I don't like the setup. But I will say my tune has changed slightly slightly because of all the reasons we've even been discussing here in this 10, 15 minutes we've been chatting with you, and that is the development of players, whether it be at the NBA level, whether it be on the national level, whether it be playing internationally, when we talk about guys playing overseas, guys playing here in, in the CEBL or the G League, let alone at the NBA level. I do recognize that the new setup has created the opportunity for more guys to play, more guys to make an impact, more guys to be a part of the program, which to me puts more of a spotlight on, which then sets them up for jobs around the world, not just the NBA or the NBA guys. And maybe that's the silver lining to this goofy and confusing setup I think that FIBA has introduced now for a number of years. And I think that's maybe the positive I find is it does help in the the production and the the uh, development of so many different guys that might not be at the elite level, but they're still damn good players. Yeah, and, and I think that it, it grows the like uh, when your base is stronger, right? The, the players that the, are even better, right? It, it helps grow, yeah. I think, everything when, when you have that. And, so, and, and now, look, we're going to have multiple guys getting drafted this year, right? You know, I mean, the NCAA season's going on now. Well, there have been multiple Canadians in the draft this year, right? It's like, where do these guys play? Because at the top of the house now, right, with the guys that are already there, the more experienced ones, right, they're there. They're ready to go. What happens with all these create and opportunities for those guys, you know, to be playing their development, right, as they're coming along. Josh Primo is 18 years old. You know, uh, opportunities in our system to make sure that playing that, you know, if they, they don't make a big team, and you never know, maybe they could, but if they don't, um, where are they going to play? What are they going to be able to do? So we've got some stuff up our sleeves that uh, hopefully in the next few months, you know, we'll be able to kind of come out and share opportunities for all, you know, for a number of our top-level players. Um, to get out there and play. You know, Meeks is about to hit the road for the college guys, you know, um, as well, to make sure we're touching base there and, and, and seeing that. I'll join him on a few of those trips as well. So, you know, we're constantly working. Um, we're not just looking at the top of the house. We're looking at all our players and, and trying to continue to grow this thing because we're going to need that. Um, you know, this summer, for example, you know, I felt like at the center spot, you know, um, you know, we needed a little bit more, you know. We needed a little bit more, a little bit yeah. more size, right, uh, because these, these teams – Whatever your weakness is, they will find it and exploit it. If it's yeah, shooting, Rowan. if it's defense, if you're not gritty enough, they'll push you around. Like, you know, you need to make sure that your team and your pool is strong enough to fill every single hole so when you go into these tournaments, you're ready to go. But do it with a group of guys that's been together, that knows how to play together, and knows how to perform in the moment. Rowan, you said something intriguing, and I know this, I'm kind of privy as a, as a board member to some of that on the inside, but... How do, how do some of these other countries do it? Like I look again, I'm I'm going back to most recent experience, the Czech Republic, 
And mm-hmm. uh, they they were big on the inside. They played old fashioned with us. Uh, they, they they took advantage of some of that. Uh, they couldn't play at the other end with us. But, you know, Sadoransky's an NBA vet, and you figure he's in the NBA. Was mm-hmm. he just an add-on? How did those guys find the time to get them to play together? Or was it just the buildup of years of them playing together that, mm-hmm. that, that did it to mm-hmm. us rather than, well, we were together for – you know, three months over COVID or whatever. How did they do it? How do other countries try to do this thing that we're trying to accomplish now? That team did it, I think, to your point, over years, right? They've yeah. been playing. Like, that team's a good team, right? They were in the World Championship. They were in the Euros. They were winning a lot of games, beating a lot of teams, right? And and when Sadoransky's in the NBA during the year, right, that team is together, right? Like, they're still playing in the windows, you know? November and February, like, they're still playing together, right? And then come to the summer, here he comes added back in. But he's been playing for years. It was like we did with Steve Nash, you know? Steve's been playing every single competition. He wasn't there, like, you know, for three months training with us, you know? he, he You know, the NBA team might allow him to come in in that last month, right? But he was Steve. He was a part of the fabric of how we built our team. We were just waiting for him to come back. Once he came back, fit like a glove, we went and on we go. Right to right to the Olympics, and we beat the world champions there. Right, another team that was more talented. Than that. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we, we got, got you. Bro. Yeah, yeah. And you know, in the last five minutes, if this game is close, we're going to beat you, right? Because we know what we do, we, we know where we're going, and that team obviously knew that. And obviously, to beat us, Sadoransky had the ball. Right, they had no wonder who was going to have it, and he made a tough shot over probably our best defender, Lou Dort, and uh, and and they beat us. Right, and so. Um, they're doing it because they're able to stick together for a number of years, right? So that when they get into these moments, they know how to play together and they know what we're doing. We've got to get there. We've got to figure out our way to make sure that we're keeping the nucleus of our guys together consistently over time and knowing that not just the talent, but that togetherness will help to push us over. We're like, we lost the game by two points, right? We lost by two. That means we could have won by two. So maybe the continuity and the cohesion, maybe that's going to be the, the one thing that gives us we need, you know, the extra four points we need to beat somebody um, in, in the moment of truth. So, you know, that's, that's our focus. The other teams are doing it, um, you know, and we need to just with us it's more challenging because we do, it's not just one NBA player coming in, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's going to be more than that for us. So, you know, it's going to be really important for us to have our guys committing summer after so that we can get to to where we're trying to go. Rowan, we appreciate the time and the insight today. Uh, thanks for joining us, and, and enjoy just kind of being a dad and sitting back and watching tonight. Guys, I won't be there tonight, man. I really wish oh. I could be. I got Yeah, I know I got a family thing down here. I, I had to come and check with my younger son and make sure he's okay, but I'll definitely be there in spirit. Uh, but thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Ro. Appreciate the time, Rowan. There is Rowan Baird, general manager of Canada Basketball Men's National Team. And, and Jonesy, again, I'll say it, my own opinion, and I know you're on the board. I don't know what you can or can't say or, or whatever else. I, I don't like the setup. And even what, even what Rowan was just discussing right there, it kind of speaks to my, my own angst and my own displeasure with what FIBA's doing. You've got a team – that and multiple teams, multiple countries that can roll out the same squad, play together, have that chemistry and cohesion, 
and then just sprinkle in a player or two, significant players or two, when needed, as opposed to entire teams having to learn how to play together quickly and maybe only have three, four, five days a week at most and have to put it together and then go out and play. Again, I respect that it helps cultivate the talent and opens up the potential for more jobs potentially and allows guys to continue to play, but I would much rather have a core team that could play all the time, and I think what FIBA has done has done a major disservice to a lot of countries and I'll tell you, if we're talking about the golden age of, of Canadian basketball and, and, and putting the best teams from Canada and the USA on the floor, FIBA's not helping themselves. FIBA should want the NBA players playing all the time in their games, in their tournaments, etc. They should want that. They're shooting themselves in the foot with this ridiculous setup. But I digress. You're allowed to digress. It's okay. And... and uh... You know, I look at a country like the U.S., look at who they send to try and qualify because their yes. NBA guys aren't there. They send G League guys. And, and you think you it know, wouldn't be better for FIBA if they had superstars playing and on all no, the posters and all their promotion? Come on. It would be. It would be. But, uh, you know, the U.S. doesn't have to worry. Once they get through because they've qualified from their, their great finishes in other competitions, uh, they can trot off an NBA team to the Olympics like they did this year, get it together and win. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to Smith and Jones.